0: A lot of people talk about faith. You hear people of different faiths talk about their faith. But according to the Bible, what is faith really? Biblically speaking, faith is an inner material substance. Faith is an inner material substance that becomes the evidence of things hoped for. I'm going to say it again. If they have that slide, they can put it up. Faith is an inner material substance that becomes, there it is, the evidence of things hoped for. Now, God's word is the source of faith. So when it comes to faith, God has provided it. The scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of the Lord. So when you're speaking of faith, God has provided it. The scripture says God hath dealt to every person a measure of faith. So God has provided it. We must receive it, believe it, and act on it. Now, once faith is developed in you, once that inner material substance is developed in you, an inconvenient truth is, it will be tested. Trials will come and put your faith in a courtroom to prove whether or not it is legitimate. And we live in times in this day and age where people love to hear about the promises and the blessings of God, but they have no time for the trials and the tests that often accompany them. Consider with me that we quote scriptures about the promises of God and the blessings of God, unaware that those scriptures were written by people who were stoned for their faith. Some were beheaded. Some were crucified upside down like Peter was. And yet they were thoroughly convinced inside their faith that God was able to do what he said and he would be true to what he He had promised consider 1st Peter chapter 4 12 and 13 with me 1st Peter chapter 4 12 and 13. He says beloved do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. I love this. It's almost like the apostle Peter anticipated that there would be a generation come along of believers that every time they ran into a test or a trial, they were totally shocked by it as if some strange thing had happened. You are going to be tested the moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you inadvertently signed up for hell's hit list. There are demons and devils on assignment to resist you, to attack you. There are things you will go through just in life, seasons of trial and storm and circumstance. And the apostle said, don't think it's strange, you know. You know, those people, when they start going through trouble, they think the sky is falling. You know, they got one thing wrong over here, but the presence of one thing wrong over here has caused them to look at their entire life and just think that everything is going wrong. Look at me. Everything is not going wrong. And however bad it is right now, it could be a whole lot worse. And sometimes what you're dealing with is a test. You're your faith will go through trials. He said, don't think it's strange if some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. He just, he just pulled the curtain back on a biblical principle, on a spiritual law, that yes, our faith may go through times of testing and trial, but there is always an after this, after the test. There is always a glory that is revealed after the trial, the test, and the storm. In other words, you can't get to new levels of glory without going through new tests. And every test that shows up in your life is an opportunity, really. It's an invite for you to go to the next level in your faith and go to the next level in glory. But you have to go through the test. Look at somebody say, take the test. There will be glory after this. There will be glory after this. To the person whose heart is breaking because the situation is so difficult and so painful, hear the word of the Lord. There will be glory after this. There is an after this. This is not the thing that kills you. This is not the thing that causes you to lose your mind. This is not the thing that destroys you. There will be an after this. Those of you struggling financially, and you cannot see how you are going to make it into the next month. Listen to me somehow, some way, there will be an after this. There will be an after this. And when you get through the test, glory is revealed. What is glory? Glory is the thing about God that makes him unlike anything else. Glory is the thing where you get through it, And you can't explain how you got through it. But you look at your circumstance and your situation. And you say, I know it must have been the Lord that got me through that. The glory of God carried me through that. Your faith is going to stand trial. Paul literally went to trial. He literally went to court for his faith. They arrested him, beat him, and then took him to court and tried him for preaching his faith. And in 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17, he talks about it. Look what Paul said about his trial, his test, his storm. He said, at my first defense, no one stood with me. Now, you'll find this out if you ever go through a hard test and a hard trial. Something about a a test or a trial make your friends scatter. When you're strong, you know, everybody gathers around, you know, you're fun to hang out with, you you make people laugh, you know, you're the life of the party. But but you get to going through something real hard and real difficult. It's amazing how people will leave you when they can no longer benefit from your strength. When you're not fun anymore, when you're not pleasurable anymore, when you're going through a test in a storm. Paul said, all the people I preached to, all the people I served, all the spiritual sons I have in the gospel, all the people that I've worked with. And when it came time for trial, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. I want to talk to some people who have watched with your eyes, totally surprised at the people that have walked out on you and abandoned you during the difficult seasons of your life. He said, no one stood with me, all forsook me. And then he says, it's kind of a shady thing, uh, may it not be charged against them. But the Lord, but the Lord, but the Lord, but the Lord, but the Lord. I need them to see it on the screen. But the Lord, but the Lord. Kind of feels good anyway, but the Lord, I I almost get myself happy, but the Lord, but, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. He said, when I went into my trial, everybody in my life scattered, but to my surprise, the Lord came and stood with me and I wrote this down because I felt it so strong it nearly knocked me out of my chair God heard you when you said you felt alone and you said you felt like you were going through this alone and you felt like you don't have anybody that can understand and you don't feel like anybody can give you a shoulder to cry on. God sent me here to tell you, you are not alone in this trial. God is standing with you. You are not in this by yourself hebrews 13 5 and 6 jesus said i will never leave you i will never forsake you That's why I praise Jesus, because he made a promise to never leave. When I'm good, he stays. When I'm bad, he stays. When I'm going through my high season, he's with me. And when I'm going into a trial, he's still with me. When I do all the things that he said in his word, he's with me. And when I disobey and walk around in my mess, he's still with me. That's why David said, I'll bless the Lord at all times, because David found out something about God. God will stay with you. He'll stay with you in hard times. He'll stay with you when nobody else will be there. He'll stay with you when your family forsakes you. David said, if your mother and father forsake you, the Lord will lift you up, whoever it's for. I don't know. You're not in this by yourself. I'm looking for you. I wish, I wish I knew where you were sitting, but but whoever it's for, you're not in this by yourself. Struggling in that house, struggling with those kids, struggling in the relationship, struggling in the marriage, struggling in your health, and you feel alone. You are not alone. God is look at somebody on your way to your seat and say, he's with you. He's with you. In our text, we find Abraham, the father of us all in faith, being tested in a gruesome way. When he was 75 years old, God promised him that he would have a child. God gave him the word and Abraham received it and he believed it and he acted on it and And for 25 years, nothing happened. Faith is what you hold on to until. I'm going to say it again. Faith is what you hold on to, that inner material substance. When you don't have the thing, you still need a thing to hold on to. So faith is what you hold on until. Until someday becomes today and abraham held on to faith for 25 years that god would do what he said concerning him having a son and when abraham was a hundred years old here comes the promise isaac is born god waited until it was completely impossible Sarah was already barren. We, we started with a great deal of impossibility, but Abraham's body still worked because they had that Ishmael situation. Ever had one? But, but, so God waited until the scripture says Abraham's body now was as good as dead. His batteries was broken. There was no... Um, They got all these men's clinics now, you know, where if, you know, something dips a little bit on you, you can go and Abraham didn't have that. So God waited until that point in his life to give him a miracle child, because listen to me, God doesn't do possible If your prayer request is possible, God ain't going to get involved. If it's possible, you do it. God does the impossible. And so God waited 25 years from giving the promise till the promise coming to pass because he had to squeeze all of the possible out of the situation. You're not ready to see a miracle until all of the possible has been squeezed out of your situation. But if you are in a hopeless situation, I got good news for you. If you're looking at something that no natural strategy or natural plan will fix, that's where our God specializes. That's where God steps in when it is totally impossible. And God gives him this this miracle child. Can you imagine how precious Isaac was to Abraham? My little boy, my miracle child, my impossible. He come home the other day and said, so-and-so invited me to come have a sleepover at their house. I said, hell no. You ain't going nowhere. Ever. Your papa drives you, or your grandma drives you, or your daddy drives you, or your mom drives. You. That's it. Dad, can I ride the school bus? No. Too many of them in the news. No. When, when, you, when you hold a child that never should have been. I don't know if you know what that's like. You know? When you hold a child that never should have been. You just you watch them different. He gets mad at me. I'll let his little brother do things I won't let him do. Your little brother can do flips at the pool, you can't. All that brain surgery in there, just worried about maybe something, you know just Just careful. You know? Just kinda careful. You have a child you shouldn't have. You just can you imagine how careful he was? with Isaac, you imagine how careful his mama was these are two senior citizens she's 90, he's 100 sitting around in Depends dealing with a baby she's changing the baby's diapers and their diapers too God in heaven giggling. <laughs> Impossible. Sometimes when you have a child a little later in life, you worry about, am I going to be able to be there for the big things in their life? Can you imagine how Abraham worried about that? Sometimes if you don't feel like you're going to be able to to be there for the long-term things, you kind of overcompensate on the front end just to make sure that if you was to go, you know, that, that they would at least have what they had with you in the beginning. That's a precious thing. And Abraham got it. By faith, but that faith was about to be tested. God comes to him and says, I want you to take your son, your only son. I've told you before, the Bible does not contradict itself. Some people say the Bible contradicts itself because the Bible says, take your son, your only son. And at that time, Abraham had two sons. He had this miracle baby Isaac, but he had that, that oops. (coughs) With Hagar. (coughs) The word only there, it doesn't mean singular. The Hebrew word is "yachid," It means the one you would rather keep. Take your son, the one you would rather keep. God always asks you for what you would rather keep. If it's not what you would rather keep, is it really a sacrifice? He says, I want you to take your only son, and I want you to offer him there as a burnt offering before me. And the scripture says, Genesis 22, that God tested Abraham in verse three, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men. He took Isaac and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place. Everyone say the place, Place. the place of which God had told him in verse four on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off, say afar off point number one in our lesson today. Every test has a place. Every test you will go through in life has a place. I bring this up because the benefit of walking close with God is he will always let you see your place of testing afar off before it comes. Scripture says Abraham lifted his eyes. He saw the place afar off. In other words, he was able to prepare Before he got there. God is not one for pop quizzes. He doesn't do that. If God is going to test you. He will allow you to prepare. For what's coming. Just. An instinct in your spirit, you just sense that something is off in that situation, or a knowing, a discernment, a prophetic word. It's why you need to be connected to a prophet. Every believer needs a relationship with a legitimate prophet because the prophet will warn you. You know, Katie and I have a prophet in our lives that will call and let us know about things in the upcoming season to be watchful for, just to be on guard. God always will let. Let you see the place of testing afar off, so that you're not shocked when you're walking through it. Verse five, Abraham said to his young men, Stay here. You you can't go up there with me to the place. You you gotta stay here with the donkey, and the lad and I are going up to worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, of course, theologically this text is a treasure trove. We know that when Paul in the New Testament said that God preached the gospel to Abraham back in the Old Testament, a lot of people are confused by that. How did God preach the gospel? Well, God let Abraham pantomime and go through in metaphor, allegory, shadow and type what God the father would later go through when he gave his only begotten son, Jesus. And you see the imagery all through it. You got you got a loving father leading an only son up a mountain of sacrifice. You've got an only son who's old enough to resist his father's will and yet lays his own will down to do the will of the father. You've got uh, an only son that's carrying the wood he's going to be sacrificed on. The Bible says Isaac carried the wood on his back. You got Jesus in the New Testament carrying the cross on his back. Abraham had to put himself in the position to actually slay his son with the knife. Isaiah said of the cross that we saw Jesus smitten by God. Understand, it wasn't the Romans that killed Jesus Christ. They couldn't have killed Jesus Christ. It was the father God who sacrificed his only son for you and I. And so with Abraham's life, God's preaching the gospel in the old Testament. He's showing what it would feel like, what it would be like. He's showing what he would ultimately go through to pay the price for our salvation, to forgive us of our sins and redeem us and he's showing it through Abraham's life. And there's many different places that you could pick and do an old new testament comparison, but I found one that I loved and it's juicy. So I want to share it with you. Bible historians say that verse 5 when Abraham said this to his young men in verse 5, "Stay here. You stay here. You can't go up to the place of sacrifice. You stay here." Bible historians say he spoke those words In the spot. That would later become the garden of Gethsemane. You know the garden of Gethsemane. Where you can look over here. And see Mount Calvary. That that God led Abraham. To the same place. That thousands of years later. Another father. Would be preparing to sacrifice his only son. And so. Abraham says in the garden of Gethsemane to his inner circle, to the servants that have come to help him. He said, y'all just y'all stay here. When Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, he's begging his inner circle to pray with him. Would you pray with me? Can you watch for one hour? But the Bible says when he looked up and noticed that they were asleep, he said, sleep on, stay here. You can't go with me to the place. Old Testament, New Testament, kissing each other, meeting each other, testifying about a loving father that went through the gut-wrenching decision to sacrifice his precious, his only, his, his one that he would rather keep for you and I. And then the Bible says, stay here. You can't go with me. My boy and I, um, we're going on, they're up there, that mountain, to worship. Listen at what he calls the sacrifice he's about to make. He calls it worship. Because you haven't really worshiped until you've really sacrificed. If what you call worship is a song that costs you nothing, nobody's taught you a thing about the subject. The word worship is worth ship. What's it worth? And your worship is not legitimized until it costs you something. And this is the beautiful thing about a test, because when you worship God through a test, Your worship reveals God's value in your life. Your worship reveals what He's worth to you. Because there's a whole lot of people that only worship when things are going right. Anybody can lift their hand and sing when they get promoted. Anybody can shout and give God glory when they get healed. Anybody can dance around the church when they get a new house. Anybody can be excited when their child comes in and goes to the altar and gives their life to Jesus, but when you can stand there after you just got an eviction letter, when you can stand there with a car that just broke down, when you can stand there and your child ain't in the altar, your child is in the drug house, when you can stand there with all hell breaking loose in your life, when you can stand there with a positive cancer diagnosis, when you can stand there and everything around you is falling apart and you can still give God worship when you worship in a test it proves what he's worth to you it proves God I know you can do a lot of things but I love you not just for the things you can do I worship you just because of who you are and Abraham carried carried the most valuable gift God ever gave him and said I love this but God, I love you more. He so said, we're going up there to worship. But then the dichotomy of that, the paradox of that statement. See, real people of faith sound crazy sometimes. Oh, God, help me! I'm about to get in hot water. Real people of faith, it sounds like we're talking out of both sides of our heads sometimes. Because faith makes no natural sense because faith is an inner material substance that happens to be supernatural. So if you get around a person of faith, they'll say some stuff that kind of makes your head swim. you got to have diversity to be around a person of faith. you got to be able to be spiritual in some ways and natural in the other to be able to understand a person of faith because a person of faith will say some things that are outlandish and crazy. And he says on one hand, I'm going to take my boy up there and sacrifice him and we'll be back. All of you missed it. Me and my boy, we are going to go up there and I'm going to sacrifice him and then we'll be back mature faith makes bold claims mature faith says stuff that sounds absolutely crazy but Abraham was standing there with the weight of the world on his shoulders not knowing how it was going to end but he reckoned in his faith if he was God enough to give me this child that he'll be God enough to resurrect him from the dead if I have to kill him but either way we will come back back from this. And I want to tell somebody, no matter what's going on in your life, the word God sent me to give you is you will come back from this. This will not kill you. This is not the end. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but I want to speak to your spirit. You will come back from this. He said, go sacrifice him and we'll be back and he starts walking up the road because number two every test has a purpose every test has a purpose listen to me God never wastes trouble If God allowed you to go into it, the divine architect of your life has a purpose for what he allowed you to walk in. Your life is not an accident, and neither is your life path. Your life is not an accident, and neither is your story. Somewhere inside of what you are going through, as painful as it may be, there is a God intended purpose that's being worked out right now. What you're going through, even if it's causing tears to stream down your face, is working for you and working with you, together with the purpose of God to bring you into an intended destination. Abraham doesn't realize it, but he's pantomiming the gospel. He's justifying that's true. He's justifying God's actions in the law by giving the gospel first. That's a humdinger. Well, I hate it when my church misses a major theological point like that. Since the law, according to the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians, did not have the power to redeem then God would have been unjust if his first redemption system would have been a law that was kept by works and obedience, yet did not have the power to redeem. However, it was not the first redemption system that was introduced. Because Abraham was saved and redeemed by God before the law was ever given to Moses. How was he redeemed? You gotta have a gospel. And Abraham didn't know it, but each step he was taking up the mountain that Jesus would lay or die on he was preaching the gospel with his actions and with his life and through the instruction god gave him god was preaching the gospel to his heart he got saved and believed it and he was justified by faith therefore being justified by faith we have peace with god and he got it on mount calvary before jesus ever showed up Therefore, God could be just in introducing the sacrifice system and allowing the Old Testament to become our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ, Hebrews, all because of what he was doing. Abraham thinks, God, you're killing me. How could you ask this of me? God said, I'm saving the world through what you're doing, boy. Shut up. Because Jesus can't come do it until you do. If Jesus going to pass through, if you're going to help produce the seed of Abraham born of a woman, the son can't do it until the father. And so there was a purpose that his mind could not possibly comprehend that he was being used to flesh out in the world, to lay into the annals of time. It was something God wanted established. There's a purpose for it. You're depressed. You're full of anxiety. You're hurting real bad things are a mess what you don't realize is there is a if you belong to god if you are saved and born again and full of the holy spirit there is a purpose in your frustration there's a purpose in your turmoil there's a purpose in your test there's a purpose in your trial god's not wasting it There's a purpose. And so, you know, the story, he he gets his son up there, lays him out, raises the knife. Angel comes. Don't touch him. It's just a test. This ain't going to end how you thought it was. Hear the word of the Lord, all of you in a test or a trial. This ain't going to end how you thought it was. I don't know who that's for, but you grab it. It ain't going to end how you thought it was. Then he says, look over your shoulder. And he turns and he looks. And for the first time, we see the wood, the father, the son, and substitutionary atonement all on the same mountain. It's a ram. It's a male lamb tied (laughs) in a thicket of thorns around his head. Tell me God wasn't preaching the gospel. Go get that. And let's kill that instead of you. You know, to kill Isaac would be to kill Abraham. If for some reason I had to kill my son, you might as well bury me. Let's kill that instead of you. On the same mountain, Jesus shed his blood where God looked at his only son and he said, let's kill him instead of of you. And when Abraham saw it, he stumbled back. You know, he's anointed after all this gospel's been preached to him walking up this hill. He stumbles back. And not typically in scripture is he known for giving uh, naming rights to specific locations, but he stumbles back and, and he called the name of the place, Jehovah Jireh, or translated, the Lord will provide. Oh yeah, the Lord will provide. Number three, number three, Every test has provision inside it somewhere, okay? Every test has provision inside it somewhere. Let me tell you where it's going to come from. Listen close. The Lord will provide it. Those of you struggling with bills, listen to me. I don't know how, but the Lord will provide it. Those of you in difficult situations in your family, those struggling in your health, those struggling in your marriage, listen the Lord will provide it. He said, the name of this place is it will be provided. I don't know what you have need of today, but I came to preach to you and tell you it, whatever your it is, it will be provided. So take heart, be encouraged, because watch, faith in God allowed Abraham to take a place of misery and rename it. When you have faith in God, even through your trials, you get naming rights over the ground you're standing on. And I want to tell you, you don't have to be so down. You can rename the place. You don't have to be so miserable. You can go home and rename the place. You don't have to be so discouraged. You can go and rename the place. He said, In the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. And it was when Jesus died on Calvary's cross. Not only people miss this, they they call it prosperity gospel because they're ignorant. Do you think all that Jesus did on the cross was forgive your sins and purchase your eternity? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. But the chastisement of our peace, that ain't got nothing to do with salvation. You can be saved and not have peace a day in your life. The chastisement of our peace was laid on him. And then it says, and by his stripes, we are healed. Healing ain't got nothing to do with salvation you can be sick every day of your life, die and go to heaven. Okay. But Jesus was doing more than just settling the salvation issue. When he died on the cross, he was settling the it. I lost you. I'm almost done. Can you chew one more point? He was settling the it factor. Oh, God, on the cross, he was settling the it factor. That's why he said it. So that whatever your it happens to be, whatever the thing is that you need in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Why? Because, because a loving father was willing to sacrifice his only begotten son so that you could be saved, so that you could be healed, so that you could be blessed, so that you could have peace in your mind, so that you could have joy in your heart, You may be going through a test, but in the mount of the Lord, when you look at the cross, when you look at Calvary, when you look at what Jesus did when he shed his blood, when he died, and then when he rose again three days later, when you look at the gospel, when you look at what happened in the mount of the Lord, you come away with a deep abiding faith that whatever it is, it will be Provide and stand to your feet all over the house. Give the Lord a praise.